Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Wow, what an absolute joy uh, to be with you. And how about Andy Hawthorne? He's uh, what I affectionately call the bulldog of the kingdom of God. I actually feel like God's just like, there's an open door because Andy's been like with a rampart kind of hitting it for 25 years. I feel like God's just like, just let that guy in. You know, like just, just open the door already. 25 years of um, just this tenacious salvation uh, proclamation and demonstration. And I'm so thankful for him. You know, even on our road trips, I have three boys and their number one requested road trip soundtrack song is Jumping in the House of God. <laughs> so every single time it comes on, I'm always like, first of all, we're all going like this in the car, but also uh, I'm reminded of just the faithful witness and uh, the relevant Christian message that's going on right now. I mean, what an exciting day to be alive, right? Just, I want you to turn to somebody beside you and just say, I'm excited to be alive. Now, I was just talking to a bunch of European church planners, and I was telling them that I've never actually been more excited about the coming days for Christians right now for the church. I I actually am so flipping excited. And it's weird because this is like some chaotic stuff we're living in right now. There's some pretty bad news going on. There's some pretty like world changing, pessimistic, fatalistic kind of uh, things going on in the world. And at the same time, I've never felt such expectant hope for a move of God in my whole entire life. I was in uh, Salzburg, um, Austria on Pentecost weekend. I'm there at a Catholic event, 8,000 Catholic kids on Pentecost weekend in this massive old uh, uh, cathedral. And at the same time, the day before I was with the Foursquare Movement and um, at their global conference, I was talking to the president. I was saying to him like, tell me what you're excited about. He said, well, actually I have to leave this event a tiny bit early to get to the Vatican. And I was like, what? You're going where? You know, like, you're the four-square president. Like, you know, you're a Pentecostal. Like, not only are you not Catholic, you're, like, anti-Catholic. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's like, I know, but we've, there are 40 Pentecostal denominational heads have been invited to the Vatican by the Pope for Pentecost weekend. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's happening right now? And he said, the, the Pope has invited us to pray with him. Uh, in unity that God might do another Pentecost. Now, they're praying at the Vatican. You know, now, I, I mean, if you work with the poor, you know there's a lot of conspiracy theory radio stations out there. Uh, all my friends are conspiracy radio fans. I remember one time I was driving in the middle of nowhere. Literally, we're like driving nowhere, northern Canada, and there was these power lines, like nowhere. And I remember saying to myself just out loud to the guy beside me, Rob, I said, I wonder where those power lines go. And the, Rob says to me, uh, hello to the Vatican. <laughs> and some great Pope conspiracy. But anyway, the conspiracy is the kingdom of God, people. 
The conspiracy is that God is doing what we could not have even ever asked for or imagined before, that God is taking us to places that we didn't even see coming, that God is using people and places and denominations and opportunities that maybe have looked dead or we thought had had their time and you know something else was gonna go, but he's reawakening them and he's doing something new, but also with all of these old things too. Like I just, I feel so excited about the future of the church. So 8,000 Catholic kids, I remember, preaching on Pentecost weekend, 8,000 Catholic kids in this big old cathedral with all these priests, and then this chick, you know, juvenile delinquent, uh, saved in jail, uh, you know, talking to them about Jesus, and knowing that all of these people in the Vatican are praying for God to do an outpouring, and just like hope and, 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 and expectation stirring inside of me, and I remember, I remember saying to them in the middle of the preach, I was just like, who's ready, you know, just with your whole life to say yes to Jesus, you know, and like 8,000 kids stand up. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that must have been like one of those invitations that's too easy, you know, so I'm like, sit back down. I'm like, I don't mean just like, yes to Jesus. I didn't mean to say that. I mean, who's willing to die? Like, who's willing to like, give it all, you know, like, and I just like, I got to increase the volume, you know, I got to like, increase the, the ask. Who's willing to like, give your whole future and your whole life, you know, and then 8,000 kids stand up. And and I'm just like, they all really are will. Like, I'm just like, you're all saying yes to God. Like, what's happening? And then we invited just first time, you know, people that have just for the first time said it wasn't a family thing. It's not a religious thing. It's not a rite of passage thing. It's just literally a personal decision that you make to make Jesus the Lord of your own personal life. And a thousand kids gave their hearts to Jesus in that setting. And I remember, you know, it was so, I know, right? It's just... Yeah, praise the Lord. And I remember in the, in the cathedral, there's this place that's off limits for normal people. It's just for the priests and it's for the communion stuff. And uh, you know how I'm really big on this stuff, as you can tell. I know all the details. And anyway, the priest just comes and he opens the door to this like holy of holy kind of places. And he goes, all the new believers, come on in here. And like a thousand kids, like teenagers, you know, smelly teenagers are like in the holy of holies around this like sacred altar. And all of these priests are praying in tongues over all of these new believers. I, 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 I literally wave after wave after wave of holy expectation began to fill my body. Like hope for the future, hope for denominations, hope for the gospel to reach the nations, hope for such a time as this, hope that God was gonna do what we could not even ask for or ever imagine yet. And at the end of that prayer meeting, which just kind of went on and on and on, 5,000 kids spilled out of this cathedral, walked up this massive hill overlooking Europe on the side of this like big castle and began to intercede. They just began to pray. They prayed for an hour and a half. They prayed for uh, the world. They prayed for a revival. They prayed for a salvation to come. They prayed for Muslims. As a matter of fact, one of the kids took the microphone and began to pray for the salvation of ISIS leaders. You know, I mean, even up until that prayer meeting, I was still thinking the best hope was to, to kill them. I had forgotten that we serve a God who can do what is impossible, who can actually take all of those most religious, zealous, crazy-minded, oh, I don't know, like Saul, and turn them into, right, redemption machines and salvation experiences and these possibilities of light to the world. And so these kids, these brand new Christian teenage Catholic kids begin interceding for the world to change. And I'm telling you, I just, I didn't see it coming. 
You know how I knew it was God? I had promised myself about, you know, year 2000 that I would never sing Shine Jesus Shine again. And you know, literally the first song they sang overlooking Europe, praying, interceding was Shine Jesus Shine. And I wanted to sing it. I just wanted to sing it. I mean, I love the song. I just, it just got so overdone. I was like, please make it stop. It's like Christian torture, you know. And we were singing Shine Jesus Shine overlooking Europe. And I just, I just literally, God just began to show me. And then from that to a whole bunch of other things just recently where God's just showing me that what he has planned right now is, is phenomenal. That he has stuff planned for the church. That this open door is a real thing right now. That there is like this opportunity for the church to partner with God in taking the gospel and bringing the kingdom of God to heaven, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth for right now. And that this is a real moment in Christian history. This is a real moment. And I want to just take a look at a quick story about, you know, adjusting our perspective to see this and not just see it, but partner with it. So, I mean, everything that Andy was saying earlier is hilarious because as he was talking about, you know, this open door, this open door, but actually we're, go we're walking through the door is exactly what I want to talk to you about. So there you have it. The Lord is speaking to us today. He's with us right now. He's speaking a word to the church. And if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you'll know what it is that God's doing. And we can partner with God in doing what can't be done, what none of us could do, but what God wants to do and what he delights to do, which is bring his kingdom on the earth. I want to have a look quickly at Acts chapter 3 and, um, you know, and ask God to, to, to give us a perspective, to give us a kingdom perspective, especially in this time. And especially in these places that we find ourselves at in, in the history of the world. And there are some things going on right now, kind of a deepening of darkness, it would seem, a pessimistic, fatalistic worldview that we're in right now. And we're gonna need some kingdom lenses on to really navigate this season. And I believe what God wants to do is he wants to give us eyes to see. Acts chapter three, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. And then Jesus took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. You know, are you singing the song? Yeah, okay, cool. Walking and leaping and praising. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And Peter saw his opportunity. Say that with me. Saw his opportunity. You might just turn to the person beside you right now and say, I'm seeing an opportunity. 
And he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us, though we had made this man walk by our own power or our own godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despised Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one. Instead, you demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. <laughs> It's a real good, like, seeker-sensitive message. But God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of this fact. And he goes on to preach the gospel, and lots of people get saved. Now, I mean, Peter saw his opportunity. And listen, can I just say this? That opportunity is almost always outside the gates of the Christian community. Okay, this is, on their way to a Christian event, they saw... This, is, this isn't rocket science. On their way to a Christian event, they saw. They saw. They saw an opportunity. They saw a man. Now, this is a really interesting thing because this is the gospel. This is the gospel, that the gospel shows us how to see things a different way. Uh, Kingdom Lenses, a farmer who sees seed as such a, a possible investment. He just, he scatters it everywhere. A landlord who sees treasure in a field, and so he buys the whole thing. A, a rabbi who sees unlearned fishermen as potential leaders of movements. The widow who sees her last coin as an opportunity to give. What? The widow who sees her last coin as an opportunity to give. The father who sees his rebellious son as found. The, the God who sees a cross as a triumph instead of a tragedy. Jesus who sees blindness not as a result of sin, but as an opportunity for glory. What? <laughs> Jesus himself who sees a funeral as a possible celebration. Jesus himself who sees a funeral as a party just waiting to happen. I mean, we serve a God who sees the world differently. You know, one of my favorite versions of this is when the disciples get back from their first mission trip and they're being sent out in twos, remember? And they come back and they say, even the demons submitted to us in your name, right? Like they're, they're, they're telling Jesus about like people who've been healed or people who had the gospel and that they went and they did it. I mean, they went and they did it. They took the opportunity and Jesus starts laughing with joy, the scripture says. And he says this, it's really interesting. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Isn't that awesome? I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, don't you want to see that every time someone comes back to you and says, you know, my neighbor asked me the other day if I could pray for them or like receive prayer. And don't you want to just go, ah, oh, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I, mean, I just think we should just start using that all the time, right? I see Satan fall like lightning. Like you are like a demon crushing maniac. Like... You're in the kingdom business. I saw Satan fall like lightning because Jesus has a cosmic view. He knows what's going on. Now, here's what's an interesting strategy. Way back, I used to coach uh, high school girls basketball. There's nothing more dramatic than uh, high school girls basketball. Because, you know, you're playing and everything's personal. And I remember we were playing this one game. And uh, there was a, a player on the other team that was playing dirty. And she hurt our best player. And so the team, you know, took it personally and they just started like fouling this girl, just started like playing back, like hitting her back. And so my team's just getting foul, 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 you know, it's just going bad. So I call in my team, I'm like, guys, what are you doing? My team huddles in, they're like, 
we're paying her back. We're getting her back. Player number 10, that foul player, that dirty, rotten scoundrel, we're getting her back. I remember saying to the team, we're in a huddle, I said, do you really want to get her back? Do you really want to stick it to number 10? Like, you really want to just, like, represent right now, like, really stick it to number 10 so that lying on her bed tonight, number 10 is going to be tossing and turning, wondering what on earth went wrong. They're like, yeah. I'm like, put this ball in that basket. I kid you not. Every single time you score, Every single time you score, every single time a point is added to the door, to the, to the board, you will be teaching number 10 a lesson. Do you know that this is one of the greatest things in the church, is one of the greatest diversions tactics is to get our eyes off the game? It's to, get, it's to divert our attention to inward things. It's, now, these things need to be managed. Don't get me wrong. You need to actually call a huddle and you need to like regroup and you need to do those things. But you know, one of the greatest stealers of the kingdom advance is when we forget that every single opportunity to put the ball in the basket is the way that we see Satan fall like lightning. It's the way that we actually end the devil's kingdom. It's the way that we crush Satan underneath our feet through the advance of the church, which is the gospel is that this is the way that it's done. This is how we do it. You really want to stick it to the enemy? You really want to stick it to the spirit of fear? You really want to stick it to the spirit of depression and anxiety and self-harm that threatens to strangle a generation? You really want to stick it to foster care? You really want to stick it to human trafficking? You really want to tell the devil who is boss? You really want to usurp the devil's authority with the kingdom of God? Put the ball in the basket. That's salvation, man. Tell the gospel. Take the story of the kingdom of God and this incredible good news we have and offer it. See the opportunity. See the open door and then take the opportunity. And this is what happens to Peter as he's going to the temple to pray, which is a really great religious activity and a really good discipline. But on his way, he saw an opportunity. You know, I, I finished reading a book called The Beautiful Gate by a guy named Bob Eckblad. If you haven't come across him, he's a fantastic, beautiful worker of God. He wrote a fantastic book called The, the New Christian Manifesto. And another fantastic, if you work with the poor, he, he wrote a book called Reading the Bible with the Damned. It's phenomenal, new way to read the Bible. But um, he wrote this book about the beautiful gate, just about this incident. And it's really fascinating because he said there actually isn't a physical gate called beautiful. It doesn't exist. And when you break down that word beautiful, when you break it down, it actually is like shalom. It, it is this, this, this portal. It's a doorway. That actually what Peter saw was a doorway. He saw a beggar, somebody in need at a doorway, at an opportunity, at a place to enter. And he took the opportunity. He went into that place, that beautiful gate, and he took the opportunity when the opportunity presented itself to actually be part of God's kingdom entering into this realm. And if you think about it, if you're paying attention, if you have eyes to see it all, if you have a kingdom lens on, even on your way to something godly, you're going to see beautiful gates everywhere. You're going to see beautiful gates everywhere, opportunities, portals, places where you can begin to participate with God in bringing from another realm, from the kingdom of God, heaven, come to earth. And this is what we see, uh, this is what we see happening. 
Now, the first step for this happening is a perspective shift. And um, I feel like we're just losing time thinking about how bad the backdrop is. And we need to start really rethinking about how amazing the opportunities are right now. Every time we see a beggar, every time we see need, every time we see an overwhelming darkness. You know, William Booth used to instruct his officers when they were planting a new church in a community, he would say to them, here's the strategy. Find the darkest place, and then you'll know where to begin. Find the darkest spot. Find the opportunity for God to show up. Find the open door, the portal of heaven, because God's kingdom wants to come. Find that place. Are you looking for that place? Are you looking for those places in your own life, in your own community, those places that are too hard, those places that can't be done? You know, a generation, and we've talked about this generation. You probably don't talk about it much here, but I hear it all the time. What are we going to do about this generation? What are we going to do about this generation? I'm so sick of the conversation. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are we going to do with the generation? We're going to get them saved. That's what. We're going to get them mobilized. We're going to get them empowered. We're going to unleash them to do what couldn't be done. We're going to like see God move in an unprecedented way. We're going to see healing come. We're going to see miracles come. We're going to see God's kingdom come. We're going to see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what we're going to do. What are you going to do? <laughs> and then how are we going to do it? We're going to do it by seeing it. We're going to do it by seeing it one at a time. Now, Peter and John, they don't know what's going to happen after this one occasion. All they know is they see this beggar. Now, if you read that uh, passage of scripture again, and you just count the number of times see, look, saw, <laughs> uh, are, is mentioned, it's almost absurd. I mean, literally, Acts chapter 3 is trying to tell you the secret to ushering in the kingdom of God in the here and now. And one of the secrets is to see things differently, to see people differently to see opportunities differently, to see your problems and potential terrible neighbors differently, to see beggars differently, to see the church differently, to see our role of the church differently. You'll see every single time there is this look at us, so he looks at them, and they say look at us, and so he looks at them, and there's this exchange of like perspective shifting. This beggar goes from seeing Christians as an easy target for free money, <laughs> to now a portal into the glory of God and into his own healing and into his own participation. So the first step is to change the way you see. I was um, uh, skiing with a friend of mine at night, and I'm not much of a skier. I'm like a survivor skier, you know, like, I, I, I might, I, I won't die probably when I'm skiing, but I can't vouch that you won't die if you ski with me, you know what I'm saying? That's kind of my skill level. <laughs> And I was skiing at nighttime and I borrowed all of her equipment because I'm not an avid skier. And so I was, I was going up the ski lift and I remember looking at the moon. I saw the moon and I remember just saying to her like, whoa, that is an incredible moon. Like it was just like red, like it was crazy. I was like, this is the craziest moon I've ever seen in my whole life. She's like, yeah, it's pretty spectacular tonight. And we like ski down the hill and we're up on the lift again. And I'm just like, Jenny do you see that moon? Like, I can't. It's taking my breath away. We do this the whole entire night. I'm just like waxing eloquent about the most amazing moon I've ever seen my whole entire life, and I can't believe here I am watching it. We're on the last chairlift of the night, and I've been trying not to say it so much because it just seems a little bit like redundant. And I say the last time, I say, you know, I'm not going to mention this again because this is the last run of the night, but I just want to say one more time, like, I have never seen a moon this beautiful. And I remember Jenny looking at me. Last run of the night, she looks at me and she goes, you know those goggles are rose-tinted, right? 
<laughs> I want those goggles on all the time. I want them on all the time. Like, I want kingdom goggles. And when the, when the world sees despair, I see hope. When the world sees lost, I see found. When the world sees beggar, I see healed. Right? When the world sees trafficking victim, I see survivor with power. I mean, when the world sees poverty, I see empowerment. I mean, I want the kingdom lens on. I want it. I'm tired of a fatalistic worldview. I'm tired of agreeing with despair. I'm tired of leaning into bad news. I want to see Satan fall like lightning every single day. And this is a choice we get to make. We can see things differently. We can participate with God in being people who see people differently than anybody else has ever seen them before. I, I, I just spoke to a thousand girls from foster care and um, uh, juvenile delinquent things, criminal justice system. And you know, it's really funny, but we came across a study, 70 to 80% of all domestic sex trafficking victims uh, in America, it's probably close to that here too, but in America, they're from the foster care system. In other words, we know their names. <laughs> we know their names. And, and I, I was talking to a thousand of them, they're all gathered together and we had this incredible opportunity to tell them how God sees them. And here's a, here's a hint, God doesn't see them as a problem. <laughs> God doesn't see them as a problem. You know how God sees them? He sees them as a solution. He sees them as a solution. He sees them as powerful and strong and beautiful and able. He sees them as empowered. He sees them as the future evangelists of the world. He sees them as the future strength of the world. He sees them as the people who are going to actually bring a solution to the foster care crisis. He sees them as though they already are. And as I was talking to these thousand kids, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw it, I saw a portal open and God's kingdom came down and you could see even, I had them repeat, I'm not the problem, I'm the solution. I'm not the problem, I'm the solution. What if we said to a whole generation, you're not the problem, you're the solution. What if we said it to some folks? What if we believed it in our heart? What if we had a kingdom mindset so that we could see what isn't as though it is because we've got the goggles of the kingdom on and the world's never looked so bright and the future's never looked so possible and we've never even dreamed or imagined this coming, but here it is and we see it happening and we're part of it. And when we get those visions set, when we get our perspective shifted off the what we don't have to what we have, you see that exchange in the passage of Scripture, Acts 3? He says, I want some money. They're like, that's what we don't have. And often that's where the church stops. You know how many conversations I have with people who don't have enough resources? We just don't have enough resources, they say. I'm like, are you kidding? You have all of heaven's resources. God is not short of cash. But most of the time, he doesn't even need it. Most of the time he doesn't even need it because God's kingdom is built with a different currency. It's built with hope. It's built with hope and it's built with action. The other thing that these guys do, which is what I feel like God's moving this, uh, you, you folks into, as we heard Andy speak earlier, is that the, the, these guys, they, they don't just see the opportunity, they take it. <laughs> they take it. They take it. And, and you see, all, there's all these risk elements in this. One, they stop. 
they see, they exchange, they, they learn a name, they like begin to interact. And then it says, the scripture says, you know, they're like, well, we don't have any money, but we'll give you what we have. And what we have is the kingdom of God. And then they give it to him. And the scripture says that he takes his hand you know what I mean? Like there's that moment. I don't know if you ever do any of this, uh, you know, trying to ask for healing or all those, but it's awkward sometimes. It's awkward. It's scary. I remember this Spanish drug dealer used to live across the street from this apartment I lived in, and he was a scary guy, and I was being all really incarnational and friendly with him for a whole year, trying to warm him up, you know, just saying hi and making eye contact and giving him a hot chocolate in Jesus' good name. I remember a friend of mine was visiting, and she's just a little bit more courageous than me. She's like just kind of relentless and she's a bit of one of those prophet people, you know, that hears God so clearly. And she's like, I want to go on a prayer walk. So we're going on a prayer walk and she walks up to the Spanish drug dealer and I'm like, ee, I've been being kind to this guy for a whole year. Don't screw it up. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And she walks up to this Spanish drug dealer. She says to him, hey, would you like a free message from God? <laughs> and he goes, I don't know. She goes, well, it's free. He says, oh, okay, if it's free. And, she, and he's like, okay, sure. So she starts praying for this guy. She says, God, like, please, like, speak to me for this guy right now. And then she says, I see you. You're a little kid. You're locked in a closet. You have a belt. You're like, you're strapped with a belt. And she says, you're crying out, baby Jesus, please have mercy on me. Baby Jesus, please have mercy on me. And this big, scary Spanish drug dealer that I've been being kind to for a whole stinking year falls to the ground in a fetal position and starts to weep. How could you know that? He said, how how could you know that? How could you know that? My friend says to him, because God heard your prayer. Because you're not alone. I never saw that Spanish drug dealer as a little boy abandoned until that moment. And in that moment, when my friend took the opportunity, she saw the windows, she saw the need, she saw the darkness, she saw the fear. She took the awkward approach. <laughs> she took the engagement. She took the socially weird. She took the like risk approach. She took the opportunity to say, can I pray for you? Can I give you a word from God? Can I believe that God wants to speak to this guy right now? My whole perspective shifted and so did his. And I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> I saw Satan fall like lightning. The devil and me, we don't agree. Glory, hallelujah. I hate him and he hates me. Glory, hallelujah. It's time. It is time. It's time. God is doing an unprecedented work in the world right now. There is a portal, there is an opportunity, as dark as it might look and as dark as it might feel, this is the time. Now is the day, today is the day of salvation. And we have not seen anything yet. Can you see it? Do you have your goggles adjusted accordingly? Can you see that this is the best time to ever have been alive in the history of the church? That God means to do something unprecedented that we could not have ever even asked or imagined. And how will he do it? Once we see the opportunity, we'll take it. That's how he'll do it. He'll do it when we go. He'll do it when we take it. He'll do it when we risk it. He'll do it when we go from theory into practice. My husband is an evangelist. He's, um, and he's very like disciplined. We're opposites. 
And he has this like regimen of things he has to do. You know, he has a certain prayer time and he has a prayer list and he does this every day and he does, you know, it's just really irritating to live with actually. I'm constantly feeling like a slacker. But one of the things he does, and he has done forever since I've known him, is he witnesses to an unbeliever once a week. That's his rule, like that's his minimum. He hopes for way more than that. But at least one clear gospel presentation to someone who's not a Christian. This is one of his things. And I remember it was a Friday night, and it was like 11.15 p.m. or something like that. And he's like, it's 11.15, and I haven't witnessed to anybody. And he gets his coat on, and he's like going outside. And I'm, I'm mocking him for his religiosity, because that's what wives do. So I'm saying to him, like, oh, for Pete's sake, like, God's, what, are you going to be struck down dead? Like, you know, like, God's going to be disappointed in you if you don't get your stats in, you know, like, and I'm just, you know, in loving courage, kindness, encouraging him. And he's like, I don't, like, he's not listening to me, which is normal. And he's like, I got to go, I got to go, I'll be back. So he just, he just runs out, he runs outside and he's just like, God, give me a sinner, you know, just like, give me a sinner. I'm just like mocking him the whole time. Even as he's gone, I'm just like, oh my gosh, my husband's got some issues, you know, like, wait for it, honey. Like, make it natural. Like, there'll be those opportunities that just are like clear as day, you know, and he's just like, no, I got to go find a sinner. So he's on the hunt for a sinner. He's only got 45 minutes. So he's on the clock. He's like hunting everyone. He goes into this like 24-hour pizza shop and he goes in the lobby of the pizza shop and he's like, hey, you, (laughs) this guy's sitting there waiting for a slice of pizza. He goes, hey, I'm a Christian. I want to pray for somebody. You want some prayer? And the guy's like, yeah, okay. I'll take some prayer. So he's like, what can I pray for you about? And he goes, well, I'm really worried about my son. And he goes, no way. He's like, I'm, I've been estranged from him for years and years and years. And he goes, I'm really worried about him. He goes, no, tell me more about your son. So he tells him his name. And he's, where does your son live? He says, oh, your son lives in, my son lives in Williams Lake. And Steve's like, no way. I lived in Williams Lake. He's like, what time, what, 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 what's your son's last name? So he tells him his son's last name. And my, my husband pulls out his prayer list and he realizes that this man's son was in his small group, uh, little kid outreach that we did for these kids that lived in a, in a state. And we did the small, and my, my husband was a group leader and he had been praying for his son every day for the last eight years. He's been on his prayer list and actually he was a small group leader and he ran randomly into his father at 11.59, and he said, look, not only do I know your son, not only do I know that he's okay, but I've been praying for your son as well every day for the last eight years because I never miss my prayer time. And, um, and this father was so powerfully moved by the Spirit of God that he gave his life to Jesus that night. Just in, I know, just in the nick of time. <laughs> just before midnight. But do you see what I mean? There is this combination, this two punch. One is to see things differently than everybody else. One is to be people who are infected with like what Andy Hawthorne's infected with, which is to see opportunity everywhere. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. And then the second The second punch, the knockout punch, the one that sees Satan fall like lightning, is to take the opportunity. It's to take it. 
And I, I don't care how you do it or how you're wired. I don't care if you need to discipline yourself to go do it as, a, as an act of discipline because God will show up. And I, I don't know if you're more free-spirited and you just do it with like unsuspected strangers or on your way to Christian events, you make a discipline to stop for, for someone who's not a Christian and who's outside the gate and who needs to be invited into the kingdom of God. I don't really care how you do it. All I know is that you need to do it. You need to take the opportunity because now is the time and today is the day. And we don't have time to waste because God wants to do unprecedented things in our generation, in this time, right now, in this age, right now, in the most chaotic background, probably in history, God wants to create the most beautiful movement of, uh, that we've ever seen, and I want to be part of it. Let me pray for you. God, we're asking in your holy name somehow that you would help us. You would help us trade in a fatalistic, pessimistic, weary worldview for kingdom lenses for kingdom lenses. We want to be people like Hebrews talks about that see something coming, that we see something coming, that our whole lives are directed towards your kingdom come, towards your will be done, that we see it. We see portals. We see gates. We see doors open everywhere we go, outside the temple gates, outside of our churches, outside of our gatherings. God, open doors everywhere. Would you show them to us? Would you infect us with a kingdom vision, with a holy revelation of what it is that you're doing on the earth right now? Help us, God, infect us. Let us see it. Let us be people, apostles, that see what it is that you're doing and participate with you in bringing God's kingdom to earth. And I pray, God, you would protect us just from vision without action. Would you give us a holy, a holy, a holy passion that actually flows out into action? Make us people who don't just think about it or see it, but people who do it, people who participate, people who are socially awkward enough to give it a go, to give it a try, people who get out just before midnight to get their goal done, to get their exercise in, to get their kingdom vision done. Would you show us Satan falling like lightning as we go, as we go? I feel like at the start of this beautiful weekend, just there might be some of you here that just need a, like a re-energizing, just a recommitment, like a, to make a decision to say, you know what, I could use an adjustment to my lenses. You know what, I have been hearing about this and talking about this for a long time, and what I'm lacking is the second knockout punch. I'm lacking whatever that is, that action, which speaks so much louder than what we say. And I just want to give you an opportunity to make this moment count for that. To say, you know what, this weekend, I don't want it just to be more things I already know. I want to actually participate. I want to do it. I want to be it. I want to move into it. And I feel like if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity just to make that commitment, just for this weekend even, just to say, God, do something, shift something, show me, change my vision, change my goggles, and then show me where I participate with you. And it might even literally be outside of this warehouse or even inside this warehouse. It might even be that it's an action that happens even as we gather here, where God's gospel goes where, where we go and goes with us. So if that's you, if you're just, you're saying like, I know there's something I need to just say, yes, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm here, I want, I don't want to just sit, I don't want to just spectate, I don't want to just hear what's familiar, I want to change in perspective, I want to participate in this season, 
in this kingdom come. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. And here's what I'd love for you to do. We're going to come, we're going to worship, but here's what I'd love for you to do is whoever's around you, I want you to pray for one another. I, I just, I want you to pray for one another as believers together. I want you to pray that God would show you this weekend even, that there would be a shift, that there would be a perspective shift, that you would begin to see your world differently and the world differently and your friends differently and your work differently and the beggars that are near your work differently, that you would just begin to see everything differently and you would have this holy passion. Would just begin to pray for one another right now. Just little groups, one-on-one, someone you don't know. Let the socially awkward behavior begin now. Let's do it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.